Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. An assassin lurks inside a young dancer and threatens to take her life. I'm really wondering, am I going to die? A tropical vacation becomes a nightmare when a ruthless killer strikes. You were shaking, and you was as high as were going around. And a scientist finds a nest of hungry beasts living under his skin. I look into the microscope, and there are these funny little worms crawling around. Three terrifying parasites with one thing in common. They are even more dangerous dead than alive. These are the Suicide Attackers. Worms invisible to the human eye. Insects thirsty for blood. Microscopic amoeba. They might look harmless, but these are some of nature's deadliest creatures. They can hijack our bodies, disable our immune systems, they are parasites, but to those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Parasites are organisms that live in or on other creatures, called hosts. They are one of the most successful forms of life on Earth. Almost every organism on the planet has a parasite that has evolved to live in or on it. Parasite's success depends on its ability to feed and reproduce inside a host without being destroyed. The most cunning parasites are able to live inside a host without even being detected. And it's often only after they die that a host realizes they even had an infection, and by then, it can be too late. 2002. 25-year-old Alana Tillum is a college graduate living in Santa Barbara, California. I moved to Santa Barbara for college and I decided to stay because it's such a beautiful place. I'm a busy girl. I teach dance eight times a week and uh, go to the gym and make sure I take care of my health. Alana is constantly on the go, but something is about to stop her in her tracks. One Sunday in April, 
her mother Lenore drives in from San Francisco for a lunch date. We usually try a brand new restaurant every time I come in. We had lunch together as we normally would, and then I proceeded to drive home to San Francisco Bay Area. But when Alana gets back to her house, she begins to feel cramps in her abdomen. It's not the right time of the month for my period, so I'm just trying to figure out what's happening to my body. As the afternoon wears on, the cramping becomes worse. It feels like someone's absolutely just crushing my insides. I started to feel nauseous. I, I throw up, I get sick. After I threw up, I was hoping I would feel better, but instead what happened was is the cramps came on more and more severely. Over the next four hours, the pain just gets worse. Finally, Alana calls her parents. Initially, Ilana's mother thinks she might have the answer. At first, I thought it was food poisoning, but we ate the same thing at lunch, so it couldn't be that. As they are talking, Alana's symptoms suddenly intensify. It was becoming increasingly more difficult for her to speak to me on the phone. I am very, very concerned. What could it possibly be? But Alana's parents feel powerless to help their daughter. Since I was 300 miles away, I asked her to call a friend to come over to the house to be with her. Alana calls her friend Corley. When Corley arrives, she finds Alana crumpled on the bathroom floor. She knows she must get Alana to the hospital immediately. As we're racing to the hospital, she's really weak and she's not speaking at all. She's actually moaning a bit and she was just very scared. She didn't know what was going on, and neither did I. By the time the two friends pull up to the local hospital, Alana's condition is critical. I check her into the emergency room, and they took her immediately. Doctors put her on an IV drip, but what's causing the illness is still a mystery. I have blood work, I have a pap smear, I have an ultrasound and an x-ray and still no answers. And I'm not feeling any better. The final test is a CT scan. 30 minutes later, the doctors have the results. He tells me that they've discovered a mass in my stomach and it's causing a blockage and the blockage is what's making me so sick. The doctor then tells me that they have to move me to another hospital and they tell me they have to operate and remove this mass. If the mass isn't taken out, Alana could die. I'm really beginning to get scared and wondering, you know, am I going to die? What's, what's going to happen to me? Alana is rushed to nearby Cottage Hospital. Dr. John Petrini is the gastroenterologist assigned to her case. Alana comes in with evidence of a mass that we can see on a CT scan, a bowel obstruction. For Dr. Petrini, this means one thing. It's often associated with cancers or tumors. Before he can confirm the diagnosis, he must take a closer look. So the next step would be surgery. We'd want to have a surgeon find out what the nature of this mass is. As the doctors prepare to operate, Alana's parents, Steve and Lenore, race down from San Francisco to be with their daughter. They arrive just as Alana is being taken into the OR. I just will never forget my parents as I was getting wheeled into the 
anesthesia area and just them kneeling down at my bedside and, and crying. I have that feeling of like, wow, what, what if I never see them again? Alana was very upset and very frightened and uh, just remembered also her father's cancer treatment. My father is a cancer survivor and, you know, he just kneels down and my mom is right at his side and, and says, grabs my hand and says, you know, honey, you're, you're, you're gonna be okay. I don't want this for my daughter. I want, to, I, want, I want to take her place. I want to take it over. I want to say, no, you can give me the treatment. I have the cancer. Once she was wheeled in and the two of us were alone, we both cried. You know, we were worried our, we might lose our daughter. In the OR, the surgeon makes an eight-inch incision in Alana's abdomen. When the surgeon opened Alana's abdomen, they found a mass that was adjacent to the small intestine and the colon, just where the colon starts. The sight of the mass seems to confirm the doctor's suspicions. The fear is that this may be a cancer, and it's important to get the mass out in its entirety, as well as the surrounding tissues, and that's what Alana had done. But they can't be sure it's cancer until the tissue is analyzed. So once the surgery was completed, the tissue was sent to our pathology department so that they can get an idea about what the type of, of tumor is. The testing process is complex and time-consuming. Alana will have to wait three days for the results. She became very upset and very distraught. And we tried to comfort her, but said, you know, until the results come back from pathology, and we really don't know. So, you know, we were very, we told her we were very hopeful, but we were scared to death. But when the doctors examine the tissue under a microscope, they make an astounding discovery. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Doctors have removed a huge mass from Alana Tillum's colon. But when they examine the tissue under the microscope, they make a shocking discovery. There are fragments of a worm inside of this mass indicating that this, in fact, may be a parasitic mass rather than a cancer. Dr. Petrini comes in to tell me that they have the results from my tests, and they found they discovered a worm and that I have a parasite. I'm thinking right away, where where did I get this and, and what does this mean? I was relieved that she didn't have cancer, but then the concern was, uh, a parasite, you know, were there more? Uh, what, what were we really trading uh, one bad thing for another bad thing? Before he can begin treatment, Dr. Petrini must figure out what kind of worm it is. He rushes a blood sample to the lab, then begins to interview his patient. We took a much more detailed and careful history from Alana about her activities over the last few months. And we evaluated her for her travel history and for her dietary history. Alana hasn't traveled abroad recently. So Dr. Petrini turns his attention to her diet. Dr. Petrini's asking me if I've eaten any fish or if I've had any raw fish. And one of the fish that he mentioned was salmon. And yes, two weeks before, Alana had uh, eaten sushi with her girlfriend, and they had pink ladies, raw salmon. Dr. Petrini has the clue he needs. By running another set of blood tests, he's finally able to identify the parasite. He tells me that it's a very rare parasite. It turns out that, in fact, she had anasychiasis simplex. Anasychiasis simplex is the disease caused by the parasitic worm, Anasacus. Anasacus is a roundworm that is typically found inside marine mammals, such as sea lions. It's not normally associated with humans, but if the larvae do get inside a human host, they can trigger an inflammatory response called anasychiasis. The human gut is a highly toxic environment for the Anasacus worm. If the worm larvae do enter the human gut, they try to burrow their way out through the gut wall. But the parasite can't penetrate it, and the worms get stuck and die. As the worms perish, the human immune system kicks in. Immune cells surround the worms, forming a ball-like structure that can block the digestive system, causing severe pain and even death. The Anasacus worm is extremely well adapted to living inside the gut of a marine mammal. The parasite goes totally undetected and is able to reproduce as much as it wants to. The Anasacus parasite is not well adapted to the human gut, and when it gets inside a human, what it tries to do is burrow out and it ends up dying in the process. To a human, this parasite is even more dangerous when it's dead than when it's alive. 
But how did a parasite that normally affects sea lions end up in Alana's intestines? The answer lies in the parasite's life cycle. The parasitic worm lays eggs in the sea lion's gut. The eggs pass into the water and hatch into larvae. The larvae are eaten by a crustacean, which is then eaten by a fish. When the fish is eaten by a sea lion, the life cycle is complete. So could Alana have gotten the Anasakis parasite by eating infected raw fish? Parasitologist Dr. Judy Sakanari of the University of California, San Francisco is conducting research into the prevalence of the parasite in U.S. fish markets. Today we're going to pick up some fish from a local fish distributor and we're going to take them back to the lab so we can look for Anasakis in the body cavity. What do you have for me? Uh, these are yellowmouth rockfish. Judy and her team bring the catch back. So I'm going to open up the fish and use my scissors and open up the body cavity. If the fish is infected, the worms will be visible to the naked eye. You can see the liver here, and you can see worms coiled up on the liver. There's one here, and there's one here. This is the stomach here, and you can see the encysted worm on the stomach. Research indicates that Anasakis is prevalent in many of the fish species that we eat. So why aren't more people infected? The answer lies in how the fish is prepared. To find out the safest way to prepare fish, Judy conducts a simple experiment. There'll be four preparations. One will be properly cooked at 140 degrees Fahrenheit. The second one will be lightly seared very quickly. The third one will be frozen. And the fourth one will be prepared with lemon juice, just like in ceviche. So the next step is to take the worms out of the various fillets that have been prepared in different ways. Judy places each of the samples in an incubator for one hour to mimic the conditions in the human gut. The results of our experiment showed that the parasites that were from the fillets that were properly cooked are dead. The ones that were from the fish that were frozen are also dead. However, the parasites that were soaked in the lemon juice are very active, as are the parasites that we removed from the fish that was very undercooked or lightly cooked. Dr. Sakanari's research confirms that it is possible to contract the parasite from fresh fish bought in U.S. markets. In the hospital, Alana learns that the parasite that nearly killed her was lurking on a plate of sushi that she ate in a restaurant. I start to get upset and I start to get mad because I felt like that this, this fish wasn't prepared properly and somebody should have seen this worm and that I didn't need to get sick. Alana's doctors keep her hospitalized and monitor her recovery. Until her intestines heal, she is unable to eat or drink. I'm wondering if I'm ever going to be able to eat regular food and, you know, if I'm ever going to be able to lead a normal life. But the doctors do have some good news. One benefit to this particular parasite is it doesn't spread, it doesn't multiply, it doesn't do anything other than live inside the system or die if the body kills it. Once the body has cleared that particular worm, the infection is essentially gone. After two weeks in the hospital, Alana is finally able to eat and drink. She has lost 40 pounds during her ordeal, but eventually makes a full recovery. Alana's life is great now. She uh, co-owns her business, which is a dance studio. She's teaching children, which she loves. I'm very proud of her. 
Today, Alana can eat anything she wants. But there's one food she will avoid forever. I am not a uh, sushi fan, though my husband likes to go, so I try to stick to the tempura. <laughs> Anisakiasis is extremely rare in the United States, but as more and more people eat raw fish, this disease could become more prevalent. Although the laws vary, many states require sushi to be pre-frozen, as freezing kills the parasite. The best way to avoid contracting Anisakis is to buy pre-frozen fish, or always cook it above 145 degrees until it is cooked all the way through. Anisakis is extremely successful in marine environments. This parasite can go through its whole life cycle without destroying any of its hosts. It's only when Anisakis gets into the wrong host, like a human, that it causes serious problems. Anisakis can't live for long inside a human gut, and when it dies, it triggers a massive immune response. Many parasites have adapted to life inside a human host. And when they die, the results can be even more serious as a 47-year-old man is about to find out. Ralph Yacinth is a commercial banker in Buffalo, New York. It's a high-pressure job, but Ralph always finds time to stay fit. I usually work out in the morning before going to work. I like to swim. I would say fitness is a pastime. March 2007. It's the dead of winter in Buffalo, but Ralph is on vacation in the Caribbean with his best friend, Denis Papineau. We're having a great time. We are drinking beers and looking at the girls and drinking more beer. Things are great, you know, the water is nice, the sun is shining, it couldn't be any better. But their dream vacation is about to become a nightmare. So we are on the beach, we're having a great time, beautiful weather and everything, and suddenly Ralph complains about headaches, bad headaches. Ralph's headache is so bad that he can't bear to be in the sun. All I want to do is go upstairs, get in the room and turn the lights off, get in the dark. I ask him at that point, we had too much to drink last night, is that it? He said, no, we didn't have that much. Ralph spends the rest of the day holed up in his hotel room. The next morning, Ralph's headache is a distant memory, and the two friends head off on a jeep trip to the countryside. But an hour into the journey, Denis notices that something is wrong with his pal. He was sitting in the passenger seat in front, and he was kind of staring right in front of him. He was like dazed. That's actually when I noticed the first sign that something was coming. Denis Papineau is on vacation in the Caribbean with his best friend Ralph. The two buddies are on a day trip to the countryside when Denis notices that his friend is starting to behave strangely. He was sitting in the passenger seat in front and he was kind of staring right in front of him. He was like dazed. Their destination is a freshwater lake in a secluded cave. Ralph gets out of the Jeep and we are walking down. He's the last one going down and he's doing it pretty slowly. You, you can see that he's shaking or he's not himself. But once they start swimming, Ralph seems to return to normal. 
The swimming in the cave is very nice. The water is just perfect. He gets out of the water and he looks pretty good. He looks uh, refreshed, actually. The water was so cold. But Ralph is anything but refreshed. The last thing I remember is getting out of the water and suddenly it all turns into darkness. All his arms are shaking. And his, his eyes were, are wide open and he's shaking a lot. I put my arm on him and ask him, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong? But Ralph doesn't answer. At that point, I was really, uh, really worried. He can't talk, can't hear. He's out. Mentally, he's out. Concerned for his friend's health, Denis calls for an ambulance. But while they are waiting for the ambulance to arrive, the situation gets even worse. And start to talk to him. Are you, can you hear me, Ralph? Can you hear me? I had no response at all, verbally, no response. As the minutes go, go by, I take his hand and ask him, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. <laughs> and uh, at what point, he, he did squeeze my, my hand. So I knew he was hearing me. I didn't want him to pass out, so I kept talking to him right into his ear until the ambulance came. At the clinic, doctors put Ralph on oxygen and monitor his vital signs. Then the doctors turn their attention to Denis. The doctor is asking me, did he drink too much? Of course, I say no, he had one beer during the day. Look at him, he's an athlete, he can run for 10 miles, he's in perfect shape. While Denis is arguing with the doctors, Ralph starts to come around. I wake up, I'm surrounded by nurses and doctors holding me down. I didn't know where I was. At that point, he's saying to me, what happened, what happened, where am I, where am I? And I'm saying to Ralph, you had a seizure of some kind. That's why you're here. But he doesn't quite believe me, actually. Eventually, Ralph calms down, and Denis relates the events of the last few hours. When Denis told me that I'd been out of it for a couple of hours or more, my thinking was, no way, what happened? I feel fine now. I just wanted to go back to the hotel. Of course, I'm relieved, but I'm still thinking if he really is out of danger. The doctors order a battery of tests to establish the cause of the seizure. The results are shocking. The doctor told me there's something not right in the back of my head. They found out there's a cyst in the back of my brain. A cyst or lesion is a fluid-filled sac. It can be caused by an infection, a birth defect, or even a malignant tumor. Said that when I went back to the state, I should see someone right away. Dr. Mark Frost is a neurologist at Dent Neurological Institute in Buffalo. 
I had actually gotten a call from his physician that Ralph had had a seizure and it had a CAT scan that showed an abnormality and they were concerned about what it might have been. At this point, he's at significant risk of having a recurrent seizure, so the first priority was certainly treating the seizures to make sure he does not have another one. Ralph is put on anti-seizure medication. A second scan confirms the presence of the lesion. But exactly what it is remains a mystery. Dr. Frost begins to interrogate Ralph about his life and history. I asked Ralph about where he was born, any details about travel history, as well as any complications in his birth history. I mentioned that I go to Haiti on a regular basis once a year. I mean, that's where I'm originally from. This is the clue that Dr. Frost has been looking for. The fact that he was born in Haiti and frequently traveled back there is indicative that this may be a parasite. Almost a third of all epileptic seizures are caused by one parasite. And for those living in or frequently traveling to developing countries, the number is even higher. Could this parasite be living in Ralph's brain? 47-year-old banker Ralph Yacinth was on vacation in the Caribbean when he suffered a horrific seizure. Back home, neurologist Dr. Mark Frost believes he may have found the cause. Based on his travel history, the location of the lesion, and the fact that it presented with seizures, I tell Ralph that this could very well be a pork tapeworm lava that is in his brain. A blood test confirms that Ralph is harboring a pork tapeworm in his brain. I mean, I had a seizure. Now I have a worm in my brain. I mean, after all, it's my brain. I mean, geez. The pork tapeworm is a particularly vicious parasite because it can end up inside the most important organ in the human body, the brain. But how did the parasite get there in the first place? The pork tapeworm has two primary hosts, humans and pigs. The parasite larvae form cysts in the muscle tissue of a pig. If a human eats undercooked pork that contains the cysts, they get infected. In the human gut, the cysts hatch into adult tapeworms. The worms lay eggs that are passed out in human feces. If a pig then eats the feces, the eggs grow into cysts in its muscle tissue, and the life cycle repeats. In most cases, a human gets this parasite by eating contaminated pork. But a human can also get this parasite by coming into contact with infected human feces. This can occur if food is washed in contaminated water or is prepared in unsanitary conditions. This may be what happened to Ralph. The eggs hatched into larvae in Ralph's stomach, burrowed through his intestinal wall, and traveled in the blood to his brain, where they formed a cyst. As the cyst expands, it puts pressure on the brain, causing seizures. To make matters worse, the parasite is extremely difficult to kill without also killing the host. The pork tapeworm has a brilliant defense mechanism that allows it to totally sidestep the immune system of its host. The insisted larvae secrete a chemical that binds to the body's immune cells, preventing them from penetrating the cyst. But if the cyst is killed, it stops secreting the defensive chemical, and the body's immune system launches a massive assault on the dead parasite. 
This immune response causes the brain to swell, resulting in a deadly condition known as encephalitis. Ralph is referred to infectious disease specialist Dr. Richard Lee. Encephalitis is one of those situations where patients can become comatose, where they can become demented or they can become disoriented. It's a potentially fatal complication. Dr. Lee faces a difficult choice. There were questions that he had uh, and that I had about whether we should treat him with an, a drug to kill the parasite. If Dr. Lee does use drugs to kill the parasitic cyst, he risks triggering an immune response that could also kill Ralph. But if he just leaves the cyst in the brain, Ralph could have another seizure and die. I became very concerned that I may have to live with this forever. Together, they weigh the options. Since there is only one cyst, they decide not to use drugs. Instead, they leave the parasite in his brain where it will eventually die. What I was telling him is the single lesion would gradually get smaller and die. By allowing the cyst to die naturally, Dr. Lee hopes they can avoid a massive immune reaction. Dr. Lee recommends that I continue to take the anti-seizure medicine and monitor the situation. Ralph now goes for regular MRI scans every six months. And the cyst has continued to get steadily smaller. Ralph must stay on anti-seizure drugs until the cyst dies. But he is back to his normal exercise routine and his job. Now I feel fine. I can go on with my life. I'm glad Ralph is all right because, of course, I want to keep him for a long time as my best friend. Tapeworms in the brain are the world's leading cause of epileptic seizures. In the U.S., an estimated 1,000 people were infected last year. Most infections occur in people who have spent time in areas where the pork tapeworm is endemic, such as Mexico, Central and South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, India, East Asia, and the Caribbean. Travelers to these areas should ensure the food they eat is prepared in sanitary conditions and make sure that pork is cooked all the way through. The pork tapeworm is particularly deadly because it can hold its host's immune system hostage. If the host's immune system attacks the parasite, the host could die in the process. Not all parasites are as deadly as the pork tapeworm. But some are just as cunning, as one scientist is about to discover. May 1981, Washington, D.C. Geza Tulecki is a conservationist working for the World Wildlife Fund. He specializes in chimpanzees and is no stranger to international travel. I spent three years studying chimps in Tanzania, and then I went on from there into conservation work I'm traveling back and forth to Africa about every six to eight months. Six months after his latest trip to Africa, Geza is at home writing a report on chimpanzee behavior. The air conditioning in the house was broken, and so I'm sitting at a typewriter pouring sweat, and suddenly I notice something's wrong with my right arm. And I notice the arm swelling up. My initial reaction is that perhaps I'd uh, brushed up against some poison ivy. But the itchy rash on Gaysa's arm is something far more sinister than poison ivy. The point where I really feel that something's wrong is where I can't flex my fingers anymore and the typewriter keys aren't working right. 
I wait first for my wife to come home in the evening, and then we both decide that this is not a normal situation. That night, the itching becomes unbearable. It's become much worse during the night. I've had uh, all sorts of tropical diseases. What I was facing here was quite different from any of those. This is not something I've encountered before. By this time, I'm, I'm a bit worried. But Geza has no idea that the situation is about to get much worse. Six months after chimpanzee expert Geza Tulecki returns home from Africa, his arm starts to itch unbearably. The only thing I can concentrate on is the itching on my arm because it's beginning to drive me a bit crazy. So we decide that the next morning we better call uh, our general practitioner. Gase's doctor is skeptical about his symptoms. He can see the arm is swollen. He can see the rash. What he can't see is the terrific itching. It's only when Geza tells him that he's recently returned from Africa that the doctor begins to take him seriously. He looks at it immediately says, well, I think I know the man that you should see. And that's how I met Dr. Wolf. Dr. Martin Wolf is an expert in tropical medicine at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. When he came into my office, I immediately recognized that he had a swollen hand, arm, and upper arm. He also complained of some itching and rash. He tells me to follow him into the next room, which is a laboratory. Before I knew what was going on, he took a sample of skin. I with a little device that took a snip out of the surface, and he stuck it under the microscope. I look into the microscope, and uh, this confirmed my suspicion. He looks at me and says, I think I know what you have. I think Geza was quite surprised that a diagnosis could be made just on observation. Dr. Wolf invites Geza to take a look for himself. I look into the microscope, and there are these funny little worms crawling around. And he says, well, you've got river blindness. River blindness, or onchocerciasis, is caused by the larvae of the Onchocerca volvulus worm. The parasitic worms live in the mouthparts of black flies that are common in Africa. When an infected fly bites a human, the parasite enters the body through the bite wound. There, the worms reproduce, generating over a thousand larvae a day. When an uninfected black fly takes a blood meal from an infected host, the life cycle is complete. As the worm larvae burrow through their host's skin, they produce a massive immune response, causing intense itching and severe inflammation. But the skin isn't the only organ threatened by the Onchocerca volvulus parasite. As the larvae move through the body, they cause inflammation and tissue damage but it's when they reach the eye that they really start to create havoc. The worms actually get stuck in the eye and start to die off. That causes a huge immune response and that inflammation can cause permanent eye damage. For Geza, the news is devastating. At this point, I'm not sure what's coming down the road. I became extremely worried I won't be able to continue the work. The main danger of having river blindness is, in fact, that you go blind. At this point, I'm not sure what's coming down the road. 
I became extremely worried they won't be able to continue the work. To combat the parasite, Dr. Wolf prescribes a drug called DEC. But DEC only kills the parasite's larvae, leaving the adults untouched. For the drug to work, Geza must take it for as long as the adult worms are alive inside him. That could take up to 15 years. To make matters worse, the side effects are hideous. DEC, like many medicines used as an anti-parasite drug, is a poison. My body was reacting to these dead worms uh, inside my skin, and that would cause a tremendous amount of rash and irritation on the skin. My feeling with taking this drug was that it was killing me along with the worm. To find out if the drugs are killing all the worm larvae, Dr. Wolf refers Geza to an ophthalmologist. Geza's biggest fear is that the worms have infested his eyes. The exam was in itself uh, a bit of an experience. They called in all their students, and I had to sit there and I endure 20 people looking into my eyeballs one after the other and going, ooh, ah, there's one, there's one. They, in fact, discovered a number of worms. While the drugs have killed some of the larvae, they haven't killed them all, and the adult worms are still breeding. As more and more worms accumulate in his eyes, they trigger an immune response that could damage the retina. Eventually, Geza could go blind. After five years of misery, there are more worms than ever. Dr. Wolf has only one option left. He tells me that there's a, a drug that might be used in my case called ivermectin. Ivermectin is often used in animals, but in 1985, no one had ever tried it on humans. It's Gaza's last chance. A uh, doctor had a license to use this drug on an investigational basis, and that uh, if he would accept Gaza, uh, he would be the first person in this country to be given ivermectin for onchocerciasis. Ivermectin breaks Onchocerca's life cycle by preventing the parasite from reproducing. If the worms can't multiply, Gaza's eyes won't get worse. I'm sick and tired of the whole process of itching and treatments and everything else. So I'm ready to try anything at this point. In August 1985, five years after he was infected, Geza becomes the first person in the U.S. to be treated with ivermectin. After a week, he returns to the clinic to see if the drug is working. He was examined by the eye physician who saw no evidence of live worms in his eye. The drugs have killed the worms, and Geza's sight is saved. And that is uh, a wonderful thing for me at this point, after five years of suffering. Over the course of his treatment, Geza and Dr. Wolf become great friends, a friendship that has lasted until this day. I will always be grateful for what he did uh, to deal with this river blindness. While the black fly does live in the United States, none of the American populations have ever been found to carry the Onchocerca parasite. All of the millions of people with river blindness got the parasite outside the United States. River blindness is endemic in many Central and Sub-Saharan African countries. It is particularly common in areas near fast-flowing streams. 
because this is where the black fly breeds. To avoid infection, travelers should always cover their arms and legs when outdoors, hang mosquito nets at night, and always use DEET-based insect repellent. Onchocerca volvulus is one of the most destructive parasites on the planet. In fact, onchocerciasis is the second most common infectious cause of blindness in the world. Not only can this parasite live for up to 15 years inside the human body, when it dies, it causes a devastating inflammatory response that leaves many of its victims blind for life. Parasites are found everywhere on the planet, and the reason they've had that success is that they're very effective at adapting to their environments. By hiding undetected inside their hosts, parasites are able to survive and reproduce. And when a parasite dies, the host's immune response kicks in, often with devastating results. These parasites are the ultimate suicide attackers. For more disgusting parasites and tips on how to avoid them, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monstersinsideme. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.